Well, welcome everybody to episode 14 of the Community Cloudcast. Uh, I'm your host, Eric Schups. Uh, my other hosts, Jason Himmelstein and Paul McCollum, may or may not be with us today. Hopefully they can join us later. But I'm also joined by our special guest uh, this month, Mr. Michael Knoll. Michael, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Good to uh, see you again, Eric. Good, good. Well, we'll do a little bit more of an intro here in a moment, but I just want to remind folks that new episodes come out every third Thursday uh, of every month, uh, content willing, and that we have speakers that are willing to join us. Uh, you can hit us on our YouTube channel, I'll link there on the slide, or on Facebook. Uh, we'll be streaming across both platforms. If you have questions, please post them uh, onto those separate channels. We will route them back to the speakers so that they can uh, respond appropriately or ignore you if your question is just silly nonsense. So uh, Michael Knoll is joining us this month. Now, Michael and I have known each other for, good Lord, I couldn't even tell Michael. It's been a <laughs> years and years and years and years. Uh, funnily enough, Michael is one of my friends that I rarely see in America and that I always see somewhere else in the this world. This is true. I don't actually think, I don't, no, maybe I have seen you at least once, maybe a tech ed or something is, years yeah, ago. Yeah, SharePoint conference in, in the years SharePoint, back. Yeah, Vegas, stuff, yeah. Vegas occasionally. Yeah, we're back when they would have the SharePoint conferences there. But yeah, but primarily I'm seeing you in yeah in Europe or somewhere else, so. Yeah, usually the case. Now, now Michael is a bit more of a um, uh, braver traveler than I am. He goes to lots of places around the world. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you have a list of all the countries that you, you visit and you're trying to tick them all off. Did, just give me a taste. Where are some of the strangest places you've ever gone to? Wow. Um, you know, I, I, there's a it, it's an interesting list because, of course, um, there's you've got places where the culture is very different, right? Where you, you feel like you're, you're really in a different planet, um, culturally at least. Um, those would be places like, uh, a, a lot of the places have been walled off for a while, like Bhutan. Um, it feels like it, you're, you're somewhere else, like a different planet. Um, you, there are other places uh, in Africa that have you know, very different cultures. Um, you know, like Mauritania, it's, it, it was kind of, it was, it was a really interesting place. Um, I'm not sure I'd necessarily go back. Um, but, you know, I, I, I enjoy traveling everywhere at least once. I'll, I'll, I'm, my plan is to at least go to every country once. And I'm, as you said, there, there is a list, you know, I mean, it depends on how you define a country when we start to talk about this. But if you're just talking UN um, member nations, voting member nations, that's 193 countries. And I've been to 183 at this point. So I've got 10 left. Oh, wow. 10 left and crossing fingers, uh, visas, things like that, uh, regional instability aside, I hope to, to kind of do those final 10 within the next six months or so. So, uh, you know. Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, and it's, and it, I enjoy well, it. Funnily really enough, do. you always seem to be having a good time where you go. Everyone accepts you. And yeah, it, you know, it's, it's, you know, there, you have moments. Um, I was just talking with a, a, a joint friend of ours, Joel Olison, uh, about one of our trips uh, where, you know, we were just, you know, we were having trouble with one, one of the drivers and this was in Burkina Faso and, and it was it was challenging because, of course, he spoke very little English and, you know, my 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 franglais is not so good. So <laughs> um, so we're trying to communicate things across. He's trying to shake us down as much as possible. You know, he did, wasn't going to take us to the border, even though he said he was going to take us to the border. And, yeah, I may have lost my cool and I may have uh, like punched the dash on his uh, on his 
taxi and put like a fist into the I, I mean I don't usually lose my cool but I did that time and they uh, but um, so that you know so there are some moments like that where things kind of go off rails a little bit but but at the same time that same trip like after we got rid of this this terrible taxi driver we met this guy James Brown no kidding that's his name and uh, he's the he's the son of a of a tribal elder up in the the Pays d'Argent, which is this rift valley where there's no electricity, no cell phones, uh, no roads, no vehicles. Of, the only vehicles they have are camel carts um, and uh, and donkey carts, basically. So uh, you go you go up this rift valley and you're just going from village to village. And, you know, they're they're animist. Uh, a good percentage of them are still animists and they bury the you know, the buried bodies up on the cliffside. So you actually will see like bones up there. And oh, wow. I mean, it's just, you know, it was, it was the better, the rest of the trip was fantastic. So you just got to sometimes put up with, you know, an errant uh, uh, cab driver uh, and then you, you know, you get, you get the reward eventually. And, and I, I do love it. It's something in the, in the genes. It's that, that, that Vonderloost thing or something. I, I, I just always want to travel, which of course the past couple of years has been a little bit more challenging. Yeah, that, that has been, it has been difficult. I, yeah. I, I have to admit for compared to you, I don't travel much at all, but uh, compared to most of my other friends, I do travel a lot. Yeah. And you that the UK. being stuck at home was just bizarre. Just yeah. Weird. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm, you know, I'm hoping to make up for lost time. I, I was, you know, kind of planning to have finished all these countries. I think it was supposed to be September of 2020 and we know how that all ended up. So, mm. but uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, again, kind of getting back to normal traveling in COVID times, which I did, you know, a couple of times earlier this year, that's has its own set of challenges. And, you know, uh, you've got to test, you have to do test after test after test when you're going between these countries and, and you could get, you know, you could be forced to quarantine. I know a guy who got quarantined in Juba, South Sudan for 14 days in a hotel. Boy. Not the place you want to quarantine. Wow. <laughs> so there's always that risk. You know, you, you've got to yeah. you got to kind of plan for that. You know, you tell your wife, oh, gee, guess what? You know, I might get stuck there because, you know, if you get COVID and they're just not going to let you out. So, yeah, it's um, it's a challenge, but at least there's less of that. Because, you know, coming back to the U.S., you had to get your test, and that was always oh, challenging. Yeah. So at least now that's no longer in case. So, But crossing fingers, everything is okay. I actually, I actually even personally got, got uh, finally broke my streak and got COVID a couple months ago. And, and uh, yeah, it was, it was not fun, but, um, you know, got through it. You know, only one other person in the family got it. So crossing fingers, you know. And, we and thankfully we were at home. Yeah, yeah it, it was the timing. If you're going to time your COVID uh, uh, the right way, that was that was good timing. It was like a, a two week or two month period of time in which I wasn't planning on traveling. So I was like, OK, well, bring it on. BA five or whatever yeah. the heck I just got here, uh, you know, so, yeah, that flavor of the month. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. I don't know what's the latest now. BA. 10 or well um, we wanted to uh yeah it, there'll be a new one next month <laughs> yeah, no, just exactly. stick around for the next one. so we of course we want to thank our sponsors uh yeah. for allowing us to do this uh we wouldn't be able to do these things and travel and do conferences and all that without uh customers and sponsors so we at least want to thank our sponsors uh, uh and uh aptogen being the primary sponsor of this uh cloudcast uh, we have some, uh, actually a pretty big announcement coming on September 1st. Uh, so Michael, you'll appreciate this. That it, I've spent the last few months having to rip and replace all our middleware layer for all of our APIs uh, <laughs> because the vendor decided they were going to sunset their, their current cloud offering. You know, sometimes, uh, we'll just go off on a tangent here, but sometimes, you know, we get really frustrated with Microsoft sometimes. And, and Michael and I both 
mostly work with Microsoft. Uh, and we get frustrated with them a lot of times. But then you 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 go off the reservation and realize the grass isn't always greener uh, because the the vendor that we've been working with is is stuck in the 80s. It's uh -huh. they have a cloud offering, but man, yeah, wow, does it make Azure and AWS look good? Oh um, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and there's and some it, of those dodgy cloud cloud offerings are out there. You're right. I mean, we try to keep Microsoft honest, and yeah, you know, like you said, there's there's always challenges with them. But yeah, I, I've I've been there as well too, where you look at some of these other ones, you go, how did you guys even get off the ground with this? Yeah, when when the answer to a, a public cloud offering is no, just just do the the hosted on prem version and just put it in Azure yourself. That's not really an answer for me. So anyway, we've, we've been working hard on that. We've got a whole uh, slew of new stuff coming, uh, uh, announcing on September 1st. So pay attention to our aptitude channels um, for that new stuff coming. But what I'm really excited about, both Michael and I are excited about, is the European Cloud Summit coming in Mainz in uh, Frank, uh, just outside of Frankfurt, yeah. Germany, just over the river, 26th or 28th of September. Uh, this is, of course, the sort of sister conference, if you will, to the uh, European Collaboration Summit, same crew, uh, Addis and Spence. And if you want to know more about how those conferences run and how they work, if you go back to, uh, I think, last year around this time, maybe it was September, October last year, we did a cloudcast with them. Uh, but uh, this is such a great conference because it's a community conference. And a lot of what Michael and I do are community-based stuff. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine some of the events you've done where maybe five or 10 people showed up in some far-flung corner of the earth. I'm, uh, I'm doing Kinshasa coming up too. So, you know, because, uh, yeah, we, I, we do try to, to reach communities that aren't, um, aren't as well uh, served by, you know, some of these larger events. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly the cloud summit, yeah, this community event, these, these guys are not doing this for profit and they spend so much time working on putting together what's really a world-class event. It's, it's phenomenal how well it run, uh, that, uh, that event is, and it's hard it's, to run it's events. A, it's really hard to run events. If you've ever tried, I did one SharePoint Saturday back in the day and I never want to do that again. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, people ask me all the time, how come we don't have them in Dallas anymore? It's because I did three of them and I learned my lesson. <laughs> exactly. And those are, you know, that's relatively small. These guys are putting together, you know, it's, it's a lot of logistics that go into these things. And uh, but they do a fantastic job. It's a really, really good uh, community event. And we were, right before we started recording, uh, we were talking about the fact that, it, you know, price it out. It may be cheaper for you to fly to Frankfurt than it is for you to fly somewhere domestically. And for whatever reason, that's that's the case. I've, I've been getting pretty decent uh, ticket price, uh, prices to Europe uh, as opposed to when I try to fly domestically, like I went to go visit family and uh, it cost me more than my European ticket did. So yeah, yeah, it's prices are all over the map uh, at the moment. But the good news is you can get to Frankfurt from pretty much anywhere in the States. And yeah. if there's direct flights from most of the major hubs, it's a quick train ride down to Mainz. And and so beautiful. It's just an amazing part uh, of the country there, uh, right on the river. Uh, and uh, there's lots of great history and stories there. If you're a, a history buff, the stories from the Second World War are just amazing. Yeah. And around there, the beautiful church that they have right in the middle of town. Yeah. You, you saw, you saw the, the bridge too, right? The, the, yeah. the, you've still got the, the uh, pylon or whatever for the bridge that uh, the U.S., you know, is the bridge, the only bridge they didn't blow up. And so we were able to get across the river, um, you know, on the way over to Berlin during World War II. So, yeah, that's that's yeah. right there. That's right near the, uh, not far from the conference venue. 
Yeah, and it, which is right on the river itself, uh, yeah. the conference is. So it, it, it really is amazing. And it's worth definitely worth a trip to check out. The, uh, all the things are mostly back to normal for tra travel restrictions uh, and whatnot. If you want to test and all that, of course, you're welcome to do that. And if you want to wear masks, wear your mask. Uh, uh, nobody's going to give you grief for that. Uh, but it's a great event. There'll be a couple thousand people there, really well run. And the content... Um, is amazing. Well, uh, I'm really excited for this one because the content's a little different than what we're used to. It's cloud focused, right? It's yeah. it's all about not just Azure though, but there's Google's there and Amazon is there, mm -hmm. and it'll be truly a cloud uh, event. And so I'm really excited uh, for this one. I'll be talking about Azure API management yeah. there, which I have all sorts of recent war stories to cover now that we've gone through <laughs> <laughs> ripping and replacing and, and putting everything over there. Um, but I believe, if I'm not mistaken, um, you're talking about security, which is why I wanted to have you on this month. And I know you do talk about that a lot, but you have a, a session on security coming up at this event, do you not? Correct. Yeah, I'm doing a, a session on cybersecurity. Um, it's, it's been something that over the past three, four years, I've been doing a lot of work in. Um, I, I did, uh, prior to this, I've, I've always been involved in IT security. Uh, in fact, um, it's a little known known thing, but in the 13 years I was an MVP at Microsoft, only 12 of those were for SharePoint. One was uh, for uh, um, ISA server. <laughs> ISA server. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I wrote a, I wrote one of the only. There was only two, basically two books on ISA server, and I wrote one of them. Um, I know the guy that wrote the other one. It, you know, it's a good book too. Don't get me wrong. Tom Tom Schinder is a great guy, but uh, um, but yeah, that was it. Was surprising how many copies of that I sold because you know this is Microsoft basically creating a firewall, uh, but, <laughs> which you know a lot of people were like, "What?" <laughs> um, in any case, uh, yeah. So I, I've been involved in IT security for a really long time, and I recently had a kind of a, almost a two year stint where I was essentially a functional CISO at at one of our clients. Uh, so I got really close uh, to, uh, um, to, you know, to doing a lot of the work with, uh, with a modern IT practice and basically defending yourselves against all of the threats that are out there. And, and that's functionally what the session is about. It's talking about your cloud-based IT threats. It's talking about phishing attacks. Um, it's talking about, you know, uh, you know, ransomware, you know, crypto jacking. I mean, we go into a lot of detail about, in fact, I, I usually tell people the first 20 minutes is where I scare you. And then, you know, the, the, the rest of it, the rest of it make you feel a little bit better, but you still come out of it going, oh my God, <laughs> I'm doing my passwords the wrong way. You know, I'm, I'm thinking wrong about this. I'm not focusing on the right things because it's, you know, there's a lot of really poor practices that are, that are out there today um, mm. that have just kind of, we've kept We've kept going, you know, with those things as as IT, and it's just it's leading us into a lot of problem areas where you know you get organizations that, you know, they wake up on a on a one morning and people try to log into their machines, they find out every domain joint system has been uh, has been you know, you know, crypto locked and ransomware attacked, and you know, and you're you know, you're dusting off your resume at that point. It's it's bad. I've seen it, and uh, you yeah. don't want to be you don't want to be that IT manager that day when when that that comes down. So. Yeah, well, I, I have seen that too, uh, and so we're gonna we're gonna drill into that uh, yeah. and get some more insight on that. But uh, let's welcome in my fellow co-host Paul McCollum. Paul, good to see you this month, sir. Thank you, thank you very much. Sorry for being late. I was just on another security briefing as well, so right. nice merge of topics. And well, it was the fear factor slash 
how to fix it. Same kind of pattern as <laughs> Michael was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll be, top, it'll be top of mind for you then. So just want to mention one more event coming up in October, the North American Collaboration Summit. Uh, now, since we uh, this has been announced, of course, Microsoft has announced uh, Ignite, which will be on the same dates uh, as the NACS, which is uh, always unfortunate for a conference organizer. But um, they are they are partnering up a little bit. There'll be some content available to NACS from the Ignite folks. You could do live. Um, they'll, they'll do session sharing and whatnot from the event. Uh, and uh, Branson is, I know it can be a little bit hard to get to, but uh, it is a cool place. Uh, and the convention center is very nice right there. Mark runs a good show. Uh, so if you're um, in the neighborhood and can make it, it's an easy flight into Springfield and a quick drive down. Uh, to Branson, certainly do so. It's October 12th and 14th, and you can get all your Ignite content um, as there, uh, there as well. Unfortunately, I won't be there this year. I will just be coming back from not only doing the event in uh, Germany, but then we're doing the Bletchley Park uh, Collab Days event in uh, the UK. And Milton Keynes just after that, so I will be just be coming back uh, from that. So I won't be heading to Branson, but uh, I encourage you uh, to uh, get to that show if you possibly can. Right. So uh, let's let's take a deep dive, uh, Michael, into the things that you were talking about there. Um, th this is obviously a huge topic. We've only got a short period of time, uh, which is probably the, the biggest problem that you have in trying to present these sessions is trying to boil all this down into 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 takeaways. So so let's start there. What are the things that you try and cover in an hour uh, that will get people pointed at least in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, um, so basically, one of the things is to understand what the threats are. Um, I briefly mentioned spear phishing, um, and I, I think what's what's important is uh, not everybody necessarily understands. First off, they don't necessarily understand what phishing is in general. This is phishing with a ph, by the way. Um, phishing like this, people may know a little bit more about. Uh, but the concept is kind of similar. You're the, the hackers are are kind of seeing what they what they can get, right? They're they're trolling out there and they're seeing who they can catch. Um, traditional phishing is is just basically where they're you know kind of like you're sending out an email storm out to a whole bunch of people and seeing you know who which who's going to click on that link. Um, you know, it's it's you've you've almost surely seen this, or you've probably helped out some relatives that did click on the link or something like that. We've all been there, um, you know, trying to clean off the oh no, you clicked on that link. What are you crazy? <laughs> um, but you know, surprisingly, the, the the hackers are getting more and more sophisticated in how they do this. They um, they're actually sending you stuff at the time that you would expect to get something from, let's say, your bank or from some other um, location. And then they're also targeting specific people. And this is where the spear phishing comes into place. Spear phishing is, you know, I'm going to look at this organization. I'm going to find who works in the finance department. And I'm going to target that individual themselves with a very specific targeted message. Uh, oftentimes, if you're really good at, as a hacker, what you do is you first go after the contacts, trusted contacts of that person. And once you get a hold of uh, somebody's account there, you use that person's account to send this, the phishing attack. So you're actually getting, let's say, an email from somebody that you trust. You know, it's a vendor or somebody that you've worked with. And they'll be like, hey, uh, you know, I've got the latest quarterly numbers here. Here's a spreadsheet. Or can you click, you know, we need to click on this link. Or, it, it, in any case, it's a lot more sophisticated than the email that you get that has 600 misspellings in it and is just an obvious fake, right? 
Um, so spear phishing is something you really need to worry about because um, it, this is this is a true story. I almost had my paycheck sent to the wrong place because someone spearfished someone you know within uh, within the, the, this company that I was working with that was owed me a check and uh, and said instead of sending it to you know this bank send it to this other bank and it got right up to the point in which it was almost done and before I said no 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 I didn't authorize this because they checked in to see with me whether it was authorized later on and they didn't notice that so they went after they targeted specifically a finance person they knew that person could make those kind of changes uh, and, uh, and, you know, again, this stuff happens a, a lot and a lot of organizations are not necessarily being open and transparent about when it does happen because you don't necessarily have to, you know, a spear phishing attack, you don't necessarily have to notify it's, it's going after one person or a couple different people. Uh, you get notified when there's a huge hack or things like that. Um, so keep that in mind. The, the other thing I talk about is state sponsors of, uh, of hacking essentially. It used to be you have the, the 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 guy sitting on his mom's couch, and that was the hacker. Think like that South Park episode with the guy sitting there, you know, just you know, on the <laughs> World of Warcraft or whatever. That's what we would think about. And honestly, you know, there were the script kiddies, people trying to see what they could get done. Uh, you know, they they would call up. It wasn't even hacking, really. They would call up and they would get someone to reset the password or something, you know, social engineering attacks. Uh, but what you have now is you have entire countries that set aside a portion of their budget to basically have a whole server farm full of people sitting around or cubicle farm, excuse me, of people sitting around and trying to hack uh, not just uh, organizations that they don't like, you know, maybe some kind of non an NGI or, you know, some non-governmental organization, NGO, excuse me, non-governmental organization. But now they're also doing it to basically just raise money in some cases. So, you know, countries that are on sanctions lists, they'll go and they'll try to do the ransomware attacks because then, you know, you, they can use cryptocurrencies and things like that to kind of bypass some of those uh, some of those sanction requirements. So, um, so you, you know, it's a lot harder as an organization to defend yourself when you're defending yourself against uh, entities that that are financed to the level in which they're financed. So that's that's kind of another thing that uh, we'll go into detail in, in during these sessions. So nomenclature question. I, so the uh, the obvious fake emails. I've heard that that was actually a technique to try and weed out the gullible, uh, the non gullible. That if you intentionally do it, you don't get somebody on the hook that's going to figure it out. If yeah. it's too smooth, if there's a multi-step process to it, you really want somebody that's, and I, I'm going to coin the term spoon fishing, if, uh, because it seems like that's a full-on technique. That's actually um, a good good term. I, I think you could, we should put that into the you know modern uh, lexicon here. Um, yeah, no, you know, you you actually have a really good point, and I think in traditional fishing, certainly they don't want to get the 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 guy that knows you know what what they're doing because they're just going to waste their time. They want the the you know what we call them simpletons or whatever. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I could I could see that um, in the case of the spear fishing when they're going after the guy that should know better the you know gal that should know better that's um you know i i think in those cases they tend to try to make it look a lot more sophisticated that it's it's gotten to the point for me by the way where i so rarely click on a link right I if i if, if you know if, if it's coming from my bank if i expect it i don't care i'll log in don't click mm -hmm. on the link log into the mm -hmm. bank on the website and go into their messaging thing or whatever I've, so one other one other fun modern hack that I've seen, I've, it's hit me twice, so I think it's automated, and I'm pretty sure it was from the same person. So they've either targeted me specifically or I'm just on a list. But when I've changed jobs, 
when LinkedIn, after a short time after LinkedIn posts a new job for me, I get an email at a formula email address, a guessable email, my first name dot my last name at my company dot com <laughs> from the named CIO CEO of the company yeah. as a text message to my or to my phone saying, hey, I'm in a client meeting. Can you send me some uh, eBay gift cards so that I can give to them? <laughs> It's always gift uh, cards. It's as a new employee, card. and it's happened twice when I've changed yeah. jobs. It came to me one really? at my current job yeah. and one at uh, SenseCorp. Yeah, you, know, you can scrape that data, right? Yeah, I mean, it, you, you could easily scrape that data. You could, I could see how logically you would set up that kind of workflow to do that. So that's that's it's impressive. But again, it gives you an idea of the resources that they have. You know, these these guys are coming up with new ways to to kind of scam people. And yeah, I've I've seen a lot. I you know I, I I've. Be, for multiple reasons, I I do get targeted a lot. Uh, one of the one of the more recent ones is I don't know if this happens to you guys, but um, it, just engaging with people with uh, fake text messages that are you know obviously like going to the or it looks like they're going to the wrong person. So you get a text message and it'll say something like "Hi doctor, whatever my cat is feeling better or my cat is not doing so well or something like that." And so it's a natural response, at least in the past, for someone to go, I'm, this isn't doctor, whatever, this is, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're, they're, they're looking to engage with people in that way and then to kind of lead them down this path to where they eventually ask them for the gift cards or whatever it is that they're doing. So if you, if you suddenly start to get, you know, texts that are like that, just block the number that's sending you the text. Um, but yeah, I, I, I seem to, I have gotten onto some kind of a list where I seem to get quite a few of those, maybe at least two or three a week. Um, from different numbers and things like that. I'm like, man, you guys keep trying, you know, but <laughs> good luck, <laughs> you know, yeah. knock on wood. I mean, I, you know, you, you always, oh we're, oh, we're cybersecurity experts. We know what we're doing, but, uh, um, you know, that's, I, I still remember that day back in the nineties, looking at that message, uh, the Melissa virus mm -hmm. going, why? would I get this? I don't think I should open this attachment mm -hmm. and then seeing the next one come in and the next one come in mm -hmm. and the next one. And I was actually the exchange server admin at the organization I was at at the time. I grabbed the phone. I called up the manager and said, do I have your permission to turn on, uh, to unplug the exchange server? And he's like, yes, do it now. <laughs> because he, I didn't even say why he knew why his mm -hmm. email. And we actually avoided a lot of the problem because I, I just pulled the, the uh, ethernet cable out of the back of the uh, server waited for the churn on the hard drives to like stop. And then they came out with uh, that tool that you could just kind of go in and it would, by subject line, it would remove all the Melissa's and mm -hmm. we ran it against it. So we were actually only down for like, I think it was like four or five hours and other people were down for days with Melissa. Mm -hmm. I think we were down for a day. We kept ours disconnected for a day while we figured it out. We were running a raw SMTP server, but yeah. it was still getting spammed. And then SQL Slammer did the same thing to us. So we went yeah. oh. physically unplugged SQL for a couple of days to let that burn through and wait yeah. for a patch to come through. And and that's the thing. You know, I mean, who knows what the next one's going to be again. The, they're getting more and more sophisticated. The tools that we have to protect against that, and that's another thing that's covered in my session is I kind of go through, you know, what's the Microsoft cloud space look like for tools that will help you with this and this is you know microsoft's uh, defender suite uh this is you know things like defender for cloud apps which if you've never seen it is a is a fantastic tool um you use that at, at various clients uh but basically it it will go through and uh, uh give you a whole, a whole bunch of information about like you know it'll send you alerts say oh this person just uploaded a ton of stuff up to dropbox that that seems out of the out of the ordinary maybe they're stealing data out of your organization 
um, you know, it ties into some of those Azure security alerts where, you know, hey, this person just showed up logging in from country X and they've never been outside of the States before. So maybe that's, you know, you should look into it. Um, so I, yeah. think, I think you are the antithesis to that <laughs> algorithm, though. Because I, I turn on my actually. <laughs> I I will tell you this is actually true because I know I set those alerts off. So whenever I authenticate, I almost always open up my VPN back to uh, my home network, and uh, and then I authenticate. <laughs> so because you know I know that because I've I've had that happen before. People are like I'm getting alerts from you. You're in you know you're in uh, Niger or whatever. You know I'm like yeah I'm actually there, but. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just ignore that for now. Um, so yeah, VPN. VPN is your way around then. If you don't already have VPNs, get a VPN. There's some really good technologies around there. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, talk about that. Talk about password hygiene. This is this is one. I even people that I've known a long time in IT, uh, you know, still are stuck with kind of an old way of thinking. And one of the old things that I'm I'm trying to kill in terms of uh, uh, the the idea that people should be changing their passwords like every three months or, or even every six months. We need to force them to change their passwords, okay? This is actually not the best thing because what ends up happening? What ends up happening is people change their passwords. They just increment the number at the end of the password, right? Or you know what the most common password is right now? It's summer 2022, right? Because every every wow. uh, three months, th that person has to change their password. So, you know, uh, the next time they have to change it, it's going to be fall 2022, right? Um, so, you know, you're forcing people to get into these bad password habits. And, uh, you know, and and the, the crazy thing is, is that, like, as humans, we're also really bad at remembering these long strings of characters and numbers and stuff like that. Uh, we're better off remembering things like uh, uh, seed phrases. So... If you can get your, you know, if you do, you know, get your users into the concept of having a seed phrase, for example, um, it'll be usually like it's like three uh, uh, common words or whatever that are strung together. It's actually incredibly difficult to attack that as long as that's unique globally. Um, a, a computer can't attack that because it ends up being this, you know, 20 character long passwords, uh, usually because you got three, three, uh, uh, three of those uh, words in it. And the user is going to remember it really, really easily. So I've got I've got one that was given to me, you know, client work that I need to do, and and it's got the, I, I I it's very easy for me to remember those three words. I put those three in. There's different capitalization requirements and things like that. You have that. to vary it up. I, yeah, that's exactly. where you have to space it with numbers because otherwise, any dictionary, any language, like where there's only ten thousand words in the English language. So if you yeah. use a four phrase, a dictionary attack is only going ten thousand, or you know, what is it four. Yeah. 10, uh, 10 to the fourth or 10,000 to the fourth is, or fact, well, 10 factorial to the fourth. I, yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, the key, the, and this is, by the way, the, the real key to this is this, it has to be globally unique. In today's world, if your password is not unique across the globe, you're at risk because um, not everybody's aware of the way that most passwords work. But um, what happens is, is there's, uh, the computer is storing a hash, Okay. The hash value itself of your password is non-reversible. I can't take a hash value and go back and tell you what the password was unless that's a known hash that's out there. And guess what? There's 877 million known hashes stored in dark web databases. These are the passwords like password123. These are your old Facebook password that you're using back in you know, 20, 2007 or something like that. Um, these are things that have been hacked over the years 
and have been stolen out of these databases when people are using poor password hygiene or not properly salting the hashes and things like that. And they take that and they they dump those in there. And that's those are the types of things that are used for the dictionary attacks. They'll just start with those 877 million known hashes because they're known and they say, OK, this this guy's password is keywordy, right? And, and the, that password hash is, is in every single dictionary attack that's out there. So if you get a, if you get a hold of somebody's uh, uh, hashes, which is not actually that challenging, especially with cache credentials, uh, you can then compare that hash to those 877 million. And if it's not globally unique, you're in trouble. Now, the three words, like you said, if you add a number on the end of it and stuff, it, it, it's extremely unlikely that that's going to be used anywhere. And that's going to be a very long one. So you, to try to do a brute force attack against it is going to take the age of the universe, essentially. Uh, and so that's why you know it's, it's recommended to make sure that you're, you have a globally unique password. And by the way, that can be challenging in and of itself. You have to have a trusted site to do that. And there's a few kind of like white, white hat hacker sites that uh, uh, like have a been pwned.com. Yeah, we've all used that. Here's my password. Is anybody else using it? I know. It? I know. Well, I, three people what are I now. Tell people, what I tell people is yeah, be sure you, you know what you're doing. And also throw in an old password in there, one that you don't use anymore, right? Um, or, or at a minimum, if you really don't trust, at least throw in your email address because the email address is used as the username and it'll tell you if it was part of a hack. And then you'll see, oh, okay, my email address was hacked out of this and this and this and this. And that gives you an idea, by the way, you know, first off, where the scammers get your information from um, to be able to target you directly. And also, you know, you, you tell yourself, I'm not going to use that service anymore because these guys are idiots and they allowed my information to get out into the wild. So, yeah, I, and I'm speaking as somebody, by the way, that. with a Hotmail email address that I still use. <laughs> so, yeah, same here. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's that's part of it. I, I could throw that one in there. You can throw it in yourself if you want. You can see how many hacks that's Chrome, part of. Chrome has actually been pretty proactive at telling you whenever your identity or your your passwords. Yeah, they make it in now. In case, I saw that. Yeah, I saw uh, that. If it's, you're it's reusing cool. passwords, they tell you, hey. Your information, maybe not with that user ID, but that password that we have stored for you is now uh, exactly. is part of a breach. You should go and, change that. And, and I do recommend a pat, you know, password management tools. Um, there's quite a few that are out there. Um, I've been using LastPass. Um, that's it's pretty good in terms of cross-platform support. Um, there's open source ones, KeePass, um, if you're really paranoid. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, those, those are great too, because they will also do the same thing. They'll go and they'll, ch they'll tell you, Hey, you're reusing passwords on these sites and you probably shouldn't do that. That's not good practice. Reusing passwords, not a good idea. Um, certainly again, you know, you're not going to remember all 800 passwords across all these different sites that you have. That's where the password management tool comes into place. But anyway, I, I always think of, I don't know if you, you guys, uh, Douglas Adams, you read The Hitchhiker. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So there's a point in Hitchhiker's Guide. One of the, I don't think it's, I think it's like. Um, don't uh, worry. I will tell you at the end of the three bars. Okay. <laughs> so there's, there's at one point they're talking about all these different ways of authenticating a person. Like they were using blood and they're using this. And so to make things simpler, they made like a card that would include all that information. It would have your fingerprint. It would have your blood type. It would have everything in it. And then of course that was how they would hack you is they would use, you know, they'd steal that card and, you know, they'd think, oh, we're so smart. We're using all these biometrics, but they <laughs> built all the biometrics into the card. And I'm paraphrasing exactly what happened, but I always think of that kind of that, 
I need to go back and read the series again. I, I just got yes. it back from my nephew. He borrowed it for like a year. So <laughs> the audio like book and book. the various radio versions are also uh, yeah, priceless yeah. and have a variety of different I takes love, on each I of love. the stories. Douglas so. Adams, awesome. One of one of the things that's bothered me in recent times is with the shift to to the cloud. I keep having this conversation of uh, it's not our problem anymore, right? <laughs> Where the client says, "Yeah, well, we're moving everything to the cloud, so that's not our problem." anymore but that's not true for security in fact it's the opposite when it comes to security exactly. isn't it it's most definitely still your problem yep yeah and 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 i mean we see those kind of things those kind of cloud mistakes all the time um california dmv you know bless their hearts of most one of the most inefficient organizations i've ever had to deal with um and, and, and i'm sure a lot of dmvs are like this but they uh they went out on some aws instance and they had a database with like everybody's driver's license numbers all their personal information and it was just public <laughs> and it was it was like that for two months and a journalist or something was like <laughs> Why was I able to go in and look at all that um, information without being prompted for any type of authentication or anything? And turned out it was some vendor that was working with the DMV and you know, you know how these things work. Yeah. Um, but man, for like two months, everybody's information was out there. So uh, you want to look up my There's... driver's license info? It's probably on the dark web database somewhere. Another term that I was trying to coin back in the early 2000s was threat index. The more popular your company is, the more likely you are to be a target. It, it scaled with, you know, the however much they think people think there is to gain by uh, by breaching you. And I, I would assume that if you're a security speaker, that you are targeted more often. I think the LifeLock guy that published his social security number <laughs> has something like 10 million credit cards out there on things that don't go through and verify where he expected it to, to do that. But if you're a small fish that's not normally a target, when you put your data into one of the big fish bowls like AWS, you're actually increasing your your likelihood of a breach yeah. uh, because your data is out there in a more highly um, highly attacked area. Yeah, so I, I would say that it, that has to be entered into the conversation when you're looking at going in cloud that you have to have large company scale security practices to match the fa fact that you're going and you're putting yourself into shark infested waters. Yeah, it's it's I mean, it really is, you know, the, the amount I, you have to pretty much assume that when you are entering in some some PID into a site that that uh, that has a good chance of escaping that site. Right. Uh, no matter uh, how big the organization is. In fact, sometimes it's the biggest organizations that have these kind of, uh, of breaches. Um, so you have, you do have to be cautious with that. It's, it's, uh, uh, of course we, you know, we're all, it's, it's very convenient. You know, we've got these services that are out there. We've, you know, uh, I, I, I probably paid for, uh, uh, the, the space flight that Bezos took, you know, with all the Amazon purchases that we make in our house, especially through the pandemic. But, um, you know, I mean, we, those services are very convenient, but they've got this information about you and it's being stored in a database and we all know how that works. And, and sure, there are things we can do. We can, you know, have encryption keys on the databases. And but who controls the keys? And does that guy get compromised? And if he gets compromised, I mean, the Twitter thing was nuts. If you read into how they got hacked, they went across like air gap. You know, I mean, they hacked the first part of it, and then they went in through the air gap and hacked the second part, and they got, you know, and then they tweeted, and and it was kind of silly too at the end of the day because they they made almost no money off of it, the hackers, but the reputation hit that Twitter got after that was was huge so it made you you know wonder what the real incentives were is like someone trying to take take twitter down a few notches there but uh, 
but yeah, I mean, when you're making it through air gaps, it's it's uh, it's pretty impressive that you know impressive. But these, these guys are you know professional hackers. They're they're being paid to do that, and they you know sometimes even get commissions based on how much they make. So there's a lot of incentive for them to to get at your uh, wallet and get your data. So do you think the social hacks are what we are the biggest now versus technical hacks? Um, I didn't catch all of that. Um, I think your audio was coming in. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I was asking if you think the. Uh, let me make sure I've got the right microphone on. Um, I do. Okay. Yeah. So, the, do you think the 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 social hacks are the biggest surface now, as opposed to the technical surface, the scraping and uh, botnetting versus, uh, you know, scraping and bombing people and trying to get people to do the work for you. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm certainly uh, the social attacks are becoming a, a bigger and bigger chunk of this. And it's also the type of information you can glean out of someone's social media accounts is, is uh, you know, first off, you know, privacy out the window. For, you know, you, you want to talk about that. You know, we've been talking about this for years as well, too. It's, you know, it's one of the reasons why many years ago, like I even brought down some, a lot of my social media uh, presences, certainly when it comes to, you know, family and things like that, that's it's it's, you know, you can scrape a ton of information about a person and their habits and what they're doing. I mean, people, the fact that you used to be able to, um, you, you know, people would, you know, the GPS is on our phones, for example. And, uh, you know, you would go in and I remember in the early days, it was like, oh, now you can share your location through Facebook Messenger. Uh, why don't we, do, you know, here, why don't you set it to share your location all the time? And then that information ends up in a database. That information of, oh, in the morning, you're going to drop your kid off at daycare at this location. And then you're going to here and then you're going to here. And, uh, you you know, even when that when that data is anonymized. Right. So it's you're not a it's not your name, but it's just like a quid used for you. Uh, you can still pretty much figure out who that person is because guess what? That person leaves this address and I know that, you know, mm -hmm. Eric lives at this address. So really not that hard to piece that kind of stuff together. And you've just given, you know, people can literally buy that information as, as re they resell the information. Some of these dodgy apps in particular, you know, hey, turn on your location services. And now we're going to resell every place that you've been. And we're going to sell those to, you know, in theory, the, the you know, the, it's it's people that want to target the ads or they know that you're going to this gym and so blah, blah, blah. But in practice, then, I, you know, if I have enough money, I can buy that and I can get tons of information about where you go, what you do, you know, stuff that can be used to blackmail you. You know, I don't know what you're doing. You know, the, the, the report that was talking about, there was this one anonymous you know, Gwid that was visiting all of these hotels only for like two hours at a time or motels, <laughs> I should say. Yeah. Okay. But you know, I mean, maybe he was a motel repairman. I don't know. That's it. TV yeah. repairman. No doubt. <laughs> TV repairman. <laughs> They call that when it's when you're merging together um, anonymized information. I think I heard that term called rehydration. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. When you're when you're reversing the uh, the scrubbing of it by using other factors to join it back to, well, if we know the IP address and the traffic, and from this other sort, we have the name and the IP address. Well, then, yeah, yeah we have both mm -hmm. of those, and we've we've rebuilt that record, even though you tried to take it out. Exactly. So one thing, Michael, that, that never ceases to amaze me is that we know from being in the business that it's not if you're going to get hacked, it's when. Yeah. As, as a, a company of any significant size, right, you have to assume that you're going to get, get breached. And it never ceases to amaze me 
how organizations continue to respond like they never thought this could ever happen to them. Like, oh no, we've been hacked. Now what do we do? And and it's this just gigantic fire drill. Um, whereas it, protection is one thing, right? Doing all the things on the front end, but you you have to have a plan to deal with it when it happens. And I keep coming across people who have no plan yeah. for dealing with what happens after the fact. Yeah, and and you know, in in IT in particular, you know, we're we're so used, you know, the the, the levels, the IT admins used to being God, and they want to be God all the time, and that's all great when you're in control of your accounts. Right. When that IT admin, especially a lower level one, because you have 42 domain admins in your domain. Right. When that lower level domain admin account gets hacked because, you know, there's cash credentials on a machine or whatever. And then that person goes and, and ransomwares the entire all domain join systems. You know, that's when you realize, oh, gee, maybe we shouldn't you know, we, we should have a better process in place for not necessarily having everybody being admin by default or the IT admins by default. So, you know, that's where it's like elevation of privileges comes into place. And again, there's tools, things to talk about uh, during my session in, 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 uh, in Frankfurt uh, and in other places. But, you know, these kind of tools can help you to temporarily elevate you, your privileges uh, as opposed to const, you know, being the god all the time until that day when your your credentials are compromised and that that god takes over your environment, and that's when it's a real mess. So, so there's no plan in place for these things, and people are running around with tra traditional practices. You know, I mean, I, we get clients all the time, and and I almost want to tell them, you know, they say, okay, here's your admin credentials. I'm like, you don't have MFA on that. Come on, you turn MFA on at a minimum. You've got to have MFA on because username and password just doesn't cut it nowadays. You know, sure, I'm not going to reuse a password with you guys, but you know, who the next contractor might, right? I I, I think there's still a huge knowledge gap in in IT that I, I've spent weeks arguing with a senior compliance offer, officer for IT security that the password checkout system that they put in place protected us from accounts getting compromised. And like, so if an admin account, if, if somebody gets the admin account password, you have the, yes, yeah, we have the ability to change it with our tool because we have the password. Well, but if they get the password, they have the ability to change the password <laughs> to something else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, we have password self-service at the same time. We actually require people to do this. We just put in three new systems that force you to do that. Having the old one doesn't help you at all. Yeah. How, and we yeah. could not explain that. Couldn't get that through. And that can, I mean, it can work against you, too, because you, you, you know, the you, IT gets, oh, we're protected because of this. And mm -hmm. so then you, you become blinded to all the other threats that are out there. Uh, and, um, you know, yeah, that's that's exactly how you get eventually get compromised. Um, I, I read, you know, I'm talking about these case scenarios and I'm not trying to pick on any one organization and stuff. But uh, um, but it's fascinating to go back and read through some of these more famous hacks, you know, especially years, years later when they when they publicize exactly how they took place. Um, but uh, what was it? RSA when they got hacked. This was this was over a decade ago. But if you read into exactly what happened. There was also an air gap that was crossed in that case. And to get to that point to where they, they lost their, uh, their root keys, which is, you know, that basically are used to generate every, like all those secure IDs. They mm -hmm. basically had to, they had to go back to all their clients and reissue every single physical secure ID after the case. And that's, oh, yeah. yeah, you never want to be in that position. So, uh, 
Um, but yeah, there's a whole analysis they, they finally publicized years later. Um, and, and so go into it if you really want a good read to see exactly. And that was, by the way, that was with technology 10 years ago. Um, so uh, where, where the hackers are right now have gotten a lot more sophisticated. There was a big one uh, two or three years ago, more recently, that I also don't want to name, but yeah, that had had to go through pretty much the same thing. These are all public, ask. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are public. I just I don't need to share. And uh, I know, yeah. I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they can come and sue me. I guess, right? Well, Everybody, well, how many people watch this too. podcast? It, yeah, <laughs> a lot. We don't count. Oh no! Part of the problem too is that um, security mechanisms aren't universal. Uh, across a tool chain. So for example, if if you implement uh, multi-factor authentication on your Azure AD accounts, that's great, nice step. But then you try and implement a tool, like if you want to do migrations from SharePoint yeah. uh, from you know one to another. Well, the, uh, under a, a very wide range of circumstances, the MFA isn't supported at all, Yeah. right? So the, the tool chain doesn't support the very mechanisms, partly because the mechanisms themselves were never designed to be supported by third parties, right? So they'll, they'll rush to put in something that's part of their closed loop system, right? There's no ubiquitous MFA methodology between Microsoft and Google and Amazon and, you know, all the other identity providers um, out there with a universal set of, of plugins and um, known ways that you can work um, securely. Uh, with those mechanisms. So it's a mishmash. So as a company, especially if you're a CTO trying to fit these pieces together, it can be almost impossible to make all these pieces work. Yeah. And, and I mean, you do hit on a couple of good points. And and the other thing to note, even though I, of course, I, I strongly do recommend MFA, MFA by itself, as opposed to no MFA, certainly is is much more secure. But even MFA has its own, let's say, its own challenges. Uh, one of the things I've noticed, one of the new things that the hackers will do is um, they'll they'll find a way to get it to where they have the knowledge of when you're making an MFA request, and they'll time their hack for right at that exact moment. So you're expecting the MFA prompt to come across, and they time it like they're like, okay, let's try to hit right in front of it, and you click accept on that, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, then they've gotten past that. They've gotten past your MFA. So Microsoft's trying to, like, for example, internally, they're trying to get more sophisticated. You may have seen that, um, you know, where they send you a number instead. And then they'll say, for example, where the authentication prompt came from, like which IP, which country it comes from. So they're trying to get a little bit better around that. But yes, this is, you know, it's all great if you're 100% in the, you know, Azure AD bubble, but nobody is. Everybody's got you know, other systems that they support or they're using Okta or they're using some, you know, ping or different identity providers. They all have their own ways of doing things. You get this mishmash. There's no one one solution for this. And there's always the exceptions. As you mentioned, you've got the service account that just so happens to be, you know, a SharePoint admin because it needs to move stuff from one place to the next. Well, now we're only as secure as that username and password. Mm -hmm. So you better have some well-controlled password uh, uh you know, policy that not only, you know, has an unbreakable password, but the ability for someone to access that has to be very, very well controlled. Uh, so, yeah, it's 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 a huge challenge it, and, and it's going to continue to be a problem. It'll probably even get worse. Which yep. which in those situations hinders our ability to get work done. Right. That yep. we're, we're trying to accomplish. So there's always this this tug of war between there's work that's got to be done, efficiency and security right, and productivity. And they're always fighting each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
And it, you know, it's, it's, it is, you know, it, it's kind of like, you don't want to be, if, if you put on the CISO hat, if you put on like the security hat, um, you're coming in and you're, you know, everybody's like, oh, this guy's always stopping us from trying to be productive and trying to do our work. And, you know, maybe there's a little bit of truth to that. We're trying to make, you know, sure. But at the same time, it'll be a screeching halt if the cybersecurity is not there and everything is just leveled and you have to restore like, you know, your Sony pictures type of scenario. I mean, again, if you look into, again, not trying to pick on any one organization, but when they got taken out, they took out everything. I mean, they leveled it. They, they had to rebuild their 84s. They had to rebuild absolutely everything from scratch just because they just took out backups. They took out everything. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you don't want to be in that situation. So there's this trade-off, you know, security, functionality, you know, the ability to do my job. And Microsoft's getting better about that. But, yeah, in early days of MFA, for example, not, you, nothing would work across that. You can do PowerShell. You can do all this stuff. It's getting better, right? You can now have a power, you know, PowerShell and you can MFA from it. And and uh, um, this, it, it's a little bit of a better situation than it was before. But um, the worst case scenario is when it's malfunctioning, your MFA is not working right, the office client keeps prompting the user you know, for that MFA. And then at that point, it just becomes the user just starts hitting accept. And that's not what we want them to do. We want them to do that like once every you know, three months or something at most. You don't want them to keep on having to be prompted. Um, that's your control. Yeah. And yeah, you yeah. can't have it. Be- and, and that's the thing. It's kind of silly too. people talk about that. Oh, we want the session cookie to be it'll be expiring. Like we want it to expire in six hours. I'm like, why? You know, no, you know, you can have like an Office 365 session that can have that go for three months or I think even longer if you want to. Um, There's no reason why you want to expire those necessarily sooner, because when you expire them, you're forcing that user to have to reauthenticate again. And they just get it just becomes practice for them. I'm just going to keep on clicking on things. So, yeah, security is always excessive until it's not enough. You're right. And then, and then you're looking for a new job. Yeah. So how do you, when you're working with clients, how do you, um, one, get, get them to understand the that trade-off and, and implement it? And two, give it enough attention, but not go completely overboard to the point they can't get anything done? Yeah, it's 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 a tough one. Um, it, a lot of it is finding... Um, finding the the fertile ground right the, the people that are going to actually understand the risk um i think it's more and more people are understanding the risk um but the, the most successful cases when we have when we've really implemented proper security controls and things like that are when you know when the 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 cxo level is is really serious about listening in on this and they provide the the backup to come in and say yes we need this um Oftentimes, and, and I'm sure you guys deal with this, it starts with the highest uh, security clients, you know, your, your defense contractors, you have things like that. But it's it's also, you know, we, we, do, we do a lot of work with, uh, you know, pharmaceuticals and things like that. They have such serious controls in place um, that, you know, there really needs to be an auditable set of security and all these other requirements. So, so oftentimes that's when we get the, the best support is that, you know, management is coming down and saying, you must do this. You guys must all enable, you know, turn on MFA. I don't want to hear complaints about it. You know, yes, let's work around these workarounds. Let's figure out ways to do these kind of things. But there has to be that kind of like CXO level approval of things. Otherwise, if this, if this, if at that level they just are like, no, no, don't interfere. Let's let our users do things. You're gonna get hit. You're gonna get hit hard at some point. And then when that that the board of directors kills the executive level and replaces them with people that do understand that. 
then that's when you, you know, as, as the IT people coming in, you can implement the proper controls. But mm-hmm. IT should certainly be ready to, to fight those battles um, and, and, get it in, and get it in paperwork if they say, oh, we're going to ignore this. I've, I've told you this threat is here. I'm sending you an email now saying, we know that that threat is there, but we're willing to proceed forward because I don't want it to be, you know, it's a little CYA for, for us. Ah, quantum computing. Um, yeah, this is an interesting one. So, um, you know, quantum computing, listen, I mean, there, there's always, there's Moore's law, right? I mean, we're, the, the silicon itself is, of course, uh, you know, it's getting faster and faster and faster. And their ability to do things like break uh, SHA-1 encrypt, you know, hashing and, and things like that. Sure, we can do things now that we couldn't do before. And in the future with quantum computing, we can do things uh, that we couldn't necessarily do before either. However, some of the strongest, like the SHA-256 stuff, um, I've even seen some estimates on that is it would take a quantum computer running with the power of the sun uh, (laughs) and and running. And I forget for how many years, but it was a very long time to even crack, uh, to reverse engineer, let's say, like a SHA-256 hash. So... um, so yeah, I, I'm not too concerned about quantum computing. I think it will change things, and it will it will deprecate some of the older stuff that's out there. Just like just like today, you know, we we look at an old uh, you know SHA one key uh, keyed uh, PKI hierarchy, and you know we we need to rekey it with SHA two because it's just not up to it's not up to snuff against modern attacks. And people that have enough resources will be able to come in and start to decrypt things in the future. But I think modern day, you know, the, what we're using right now uh, with the latest in certificates, uh, we're 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 okay for the length of for the good length of certificates that we should have in place. And the, by the way, that's a reason why you you shouldn't be able to get a twenty year certificate on your on your web server. Because who knows where you know where the uh, decryption uh, capabilities are going to be even 15 years from now. That's why you're you know when you buy a web cert, at least from a good known uh, company, it's going to be what three years or five years at the most. In case people can't see, and this was a wrong comment that I got, I won't say where. Somebody saying that quantum computing was going to end password internet and encryption as we know it. Um, and the internet will die because of quantum computing and that. And it's like, it's a for talk. And it's, as soon as the threat from quantum computing, we'll use quantum computing to defend against it. Uh, it's not like that it's a technology that will only ever be in one set of hands and we won't be able to, we'll have stronger and stronger certs and there won't be that. I'm looking for the bus power. Now, granted, I did experimentally have my loft crack and rainbow tables generated. I've still got some burned CDs with uh, rainbow tables and stuff there. And that's all possible. I think people just didn't understand it and maybe get a little bit more of it. Um, now, there's more for the story about so, I mean, I got bits and pieces of that. I, I think we're having some kind of audio issue there, but I, I will say, and I think we're also running out of time here. Um, uh, yes, agreed. Uh, you know, as the tools for you know, offense start increase in, in uh, sophistication, the tools for defense also increase in sophistication. Again, that's the kind of thing that, that I'll be talking about during that session. Um, and I'll leave by saying, you know, uh, cryptography is a fascinating area. You want to talk about the offense and defense of it. I read a really good book on it. Uh, it's actually, it was written a while ago, surprisingly, but it's still very uh, relevant, but it's called The Code Book by uh, Simon Singh. 
S-I-N-G-H. Fantastic book. If you really want to dive into that, look kind of the history of cryptography from like ancient Egypt all the way through PGP, basically. Um, It's uh, it, it kind of gives you an idea of where we've gotten and how difficult it is to reverse engineer the modern encryption, like kind of when we got to that that level. But yet all the times in history that they thought that this is an unbeatable encryption, you know, think like World War II, right? Enigma machines. And they cracked those. They were cracking them, right? You know, you talk about going up to UK to that event. That's where they cracked it, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, indeed so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any case, um, I don't want to go too long with you guys. I think. We're yeah. So, you know, once again, uh, we, we get rolling and we suddenly realize that we're out of time, uh, as, <laughs> as always happens. When we I just want to have 30 more of these or this this <laughs> podcast could be security only and I would be happy. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, of course, we want to thank Michael for joining us this month. Uh, and if you want to hear more about this and pick Michael's brain, uh, please come and join us in uh, Germany uh, at the European Collaboration Summit uh, event, which is collabsummit.eu. Uh, so you go sign up for that. And contrary to what uh, some people think, uh, we absolutely do not mind answering answering questions before and after events. Uh, usually our only requirement is to show up with a, a beverage of our choice in your hand and we're, we're happy to answer any questions that, that you may have. Understanding that there's a window, right? When we have too many of those in our answers, the quality of our answers goes off a cliff. But. A little more um, experimental at that point, you know, we get yeah. into some areas you don't we, always. We start theorizing. Kind of... <laughs> exactly. uh, I want to thank our sponsors, as always, uh, for making this uh, happen, Aptogen, the uh, bifocal uh, show, uh, and the local Dallas Salesforce developer group. I believe your meeting is tomorrow, is it not? Or, um, uh, no, next next Wednesday. Next Wednesday. Next Wednesday. Uh, indeed so. And uh, so we want to thank those sponsors and we will see all of you next month. Again, uh, just a final reminder, if you do have questions, please put them uh, onto the various channels, either Facebook uh, or YouTube, put comments in there. We will route those to Michael so he can answer questions for you um, and get them back to you. Of course, you can find Michael on all the social channels for the most part, the Facebooks and the LinkedIn's and whatnot. Uh, I'm sure he wouldn't mind if you reach out um, with some pithy uh, questions uh, around security uh, and especially if your organization might need some help. He'd love to talk to you. Uh, Paul, thanks for joining me uh, this month. Good to see you. And we will see all of you next month. Great. Thanks. Thank you.